Well, we are in 2 Kings chapter 12, and last week we began and worked our way through verse 16. Uh, that only leaves six verses, and I thought that wouldn't be much, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to compare with 2 Chronicles 24, the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles. If you have your Bibles, we're actually going to read 2 Chronicles 24, which in many ways is verbatim, but certain things are added by the chronicler, which it seems may be Ezra. Uh, we're unsure. But let's read Second Chronicles 24 in keeping what we studied last week in our minds, and we'll do a brief review. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zibiah from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and then those qualifying words, all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he became the father of sons and daughters. Now it came about after this that Joash decided to restore the house of the Lord. He gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and collect money from all Israel to repair the house of your God annually. And you shall do the matter quickly. But the Levites did not act quickly. So the king summoned Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the levy fixed by Moses, the servant of the Lord, on the congregation of Israel for the tent of the testimony? For the sons of the wicked Athaliah had broken into the house of God and even used the holy things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. Verse 8, so the king commanded and they made a chest and set it outside by the gate of the house of the Lord. They made a proclamation in Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the levy fixed by Moses, the servant of God, on Israel in the wilderness. All the officers and all the people rejoiced and brought in their levies and dropped them into the chest until they had finished. It came about whenever the chest was brought in to the king's officer by the Levites, and when they saw that there and when they saw that there was much money, then the king's scribe and the chief priest's officer would come, empty the chest, take it, and return it to its place. Thus they did daily and collected much money. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to restore the house of the Lord, and also in iron and bronze to repair the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored, and their repair work progressed in their hands. And they restored the house of God according to its specifications and strengthened it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. And it was made into utensils for the house of the Lord. 
utensils for the service and the burnt offering and pans and utensils of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. Verse 15. Now when Jehoiada reached the ripe old age, he died. He was 130 years old at his death. That means he was alive during the time of Solomon. Every king of Judah he was alive for. Interesting. They buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done well in Israel and to God and his house. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king and the king listened to them. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their guilt. Yet he, that is God, sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. Verse 20. Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God has said, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He has also forsaken you. So they conspired against Him. And at the command of the king, they stoned Him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him. But he murdered his son. And as he died, that is this Zechariah, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Now it happened at the turn of the year that the army of the Arameans came up against him. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem, destroyed all the officials of the people from among the people, and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Indeed, the army of the Arameans came with a small number of men, yet the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands, because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers, Thus they executed judgment on Joash. When they had departed from him, for they left him very sick, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and murdered him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Now these are those who conspired against him, Zabad the son of Shimeath the Ammonitus, and Jehozabad the son of Shimrith the Moabitus. As to his sons and the many oracles against him and the rebuilding of the house of God, behold, they are written in the treatise of the book of the kings. Then Amaziah his son became king, in his place. So if you remembered last week, we considered 
Joash, the repairer of the house of God. And I'll leave that title for last week. And this week is Joash, the robber of the house of God. And he had such success, but he also had a massive failure. Just turning back in your Bibles to Second Kings, we'll just review quickly what we covered so far from Second Kings 12. Uh, we read a lot of the same phrases here, which are like the Gospels, where you have this parallel. Particularly from Second Kings 12, Joash, Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. He did well as long as he had this godly instructor, this chief priest, to direct him. And we noted that we ought to submit to our teachers, yet make sure that we're submitting unto God. Lest we be like Spurgeon warned us that he said, many of you take your religion at second hand. You borrow it from the preacher. You copy it from your grandmothers. Or you copy it from the chief priest or the pastor. And as long as you have a good teacher, a particular person, maybe it's your parents, you're good to go. But when they're gone, you fall away quickly. Because you didn't know God yourself. What a strong warning. I do have the lessons over there. They're from last week, so we didn't finish. If you need to grab it, they're to my left. And we noted also, because it says that the high places were not taken away, we said, let us ensure that our repentance is thorough and continuous. You can't just repent a little and then stop. You must keep on repenting, repenting, turning from your sin and continuing in that path. Don't be like Joash and many others who did good for a while and then fell back to idolatrous worship, their old paths. It's noted that Joash or Jehoash, like we have Dave or David or Davey, we do have the same issue today where we have people with multiple names, Jehoash told them, hey, I want to rebuild this temple. I want to restore it, not rebuild it, but to restore it, to repair it. And he said, take all the money of the sacred things, the money that's brought in, these levies that the Israelites had to pay as they would come in to the temple, take all that money and put it aside so that we can repair and restore the temple. And remember, the temple was... Was, does anyone remember how old it was approximately? 124 years, over 100 years old. It was really old and somewhat dilapidated and they needed to repair it. And remember, this is the boy who grew up in the temple from an infant. He grew up there and he saw it and he surely heard from his adopted mom and dad, do you see this? This needs repaired. And maybe they were grooming and guiding him. Hey, when you get older... Please remember this. You see this wall that's falling down. You see these timbers that are rotten. And he knew that he had to repair it. So we said, ponder and praise God for his providential workings. This boy grew up in the temple, and now he was the repairer of the temple. And we compared that to Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of Pharisees, becoming the great apostle. So we praise God for his providential workings in our lives and in the lives of others. And then it noted that the money that was brought in, some of it was just what was due, some of it was with the sacrifice, but some of the money they gave was just from the heart. 
as any man's heart prompted him. And we noted that the Old and the New Covenants recognize the value of giving from the heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Even in the Old Covenant, it was recognized that there's a special and necessary attitude that from our hearts we give. Not only money, but many other things. But the Levites and the priests didn't listen to Jehoash. He said, do it quickly, but they were taking too long. And it may have been years, it's it's unclear. Uh, King's notes that it was in his 23rd year as king. So for maybe even decades, we don't know. But finally, he said, enough. And he came back to them and said, why haven't you repaired the house? And he got um, the chief priest, Jehoiada, his adopted father, and he said, we need to get this going. And we noted that let us pursue prompt action when called on to do good deeds. We can't delay. We cannot be lazy. And these guys are, are were not a very good example of doing what, the, at that point, the king's command was good. And they should have did it quickly, but they delayed. They were slow. And often in our studies, we've noted, and Elisha said this, and they did it. Elisha said that, and they did it. These folks did not listen to the king for prompt obedience. Then we noted all these workers, the carpenters, the builders, the masons, the stonecutters, and we noted that the temple just didn't drop down from heaven as this magical, uh, miraculous building. It was actually labored upon by hammers and, and saws and so forth with the stones and, and the wood, the carpenters. It's amazing if you contemplate that God used these experts to build his temple. And we noted that normally the Lord uses regular means to accomplish his purposes. purposes. Sometimes he did miracles, but often it was the regular means, even in building his temple. You can see many applications for that. And finally, we noted about those men that um, they collected the money and they gave the money to the men to get the work done. And it said they did not require an accounting from the men into whose hand they gave the money to pay for those who did the work, for they dealt faithfully. They were good leaders, they were trusted with the money, and they dealt faithfully. And we noted, blessed are those who deal faithfully. Jesus said, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful in much. Let us pursue, by the grace of God, faithfulness, even in the little things, so that we might be faithful in much. Well, so much for our review uh, we'll make a few other comments before we hit uh, Second Kings. I had to note from Second Chronicles a couple, if you will, bonus lessons, not on your notes, but you can add them on your own. But noting the words, but after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king. The king listened to them. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. Don't listen to godless counselors. These were the officials of Judah. What shame. They came and bowed down to the king after his father 
Jehoiada had died. He had been listening to him for years, for decades, and doing well and, and refurbishing the temple. But here come these officials of Judah and bowing down and se- seeming to show honor to the king. And he listened to them. Deadly words. Be careful who you listen to. Don't listen to godless counselors. And you can see what happened when he listened to to them. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the very house that he worked for maybe decades at that point to repair. They abandoned it. I just drove by on the way here that strip where they put in all new sidewalks in Stillicum. I don't know if you take the shortcut as I call it, but you've seen towns where they're putting in new sidewalks. What if they poured brand new sidewalks and they put in new grass and mulch the city did and spent thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars, and and then they just started to drive over top of it, smash it up, neglect it, not take care of it, not mow the grass. It would be a disaster. It would be waste. Or if you spent all your money and built a beautiful house, but then locked the door and didn't do anything with it for the next years. You built, you made a beautiful garden and planted all these flowers and rose beds and you didn't water them, you didn't feed them, you didn't care for them. You abandoned them. What folly. He had spent a good chunk of his reign refurbishing the house of God, and then when these lowlifes show up and give bad counsel, he listens to them immediately and abandons the house of the Lord and abandons the God of their fathers and serve the asherim, the totem poles, the the logs that were put up to represent the the female deity of, uh, of life and so forth, and all the idols. Don't listen to godless counselors. It might be on your news feed, on your phone. It might be on the television. It might be your co-workers. It might be family members or friends who give bad counsel. Not many young people here, not many children, but particularly when you're young, be careful of your companions. As Paul told us, bad company corrupts good morals. One bad friend can destroy your life. One bad date, young people. You you date the wrong person. You get with the wrong person. They could destroy you. That's what happened with Joash. She listened to the counsel of these princes who should have been wise, but they had abandoned God, and he does the same thing. Psalm 1.1 How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Do you listen to wicked counsel? And it's it's usually not like, I'm a wicked person and here's some counsel. It's much more insidious. It's much more sneaky. The devil appears as an angel of light. It's the media. It's even remaining sin and the demons that we, we wage war against who insinuate false ideas about God, about yourself, about the world, about your job, about school, about your money. Don't listen to godless counselors. Well, while he was still listening to them, 
the next verse in Second Chronicles, I'm not going through the whole chapter, just a few introductory comments to fill in the gaps. That's what these parallel passages do. In 24.19 it says, Yet he, that is God, sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. We said don't listen to godless counselors. Well then, listen to godly or good counselors. Listen. God sent these prophets to call them back and say, don't do that, that's wrong. Don't turn to idolatry, come back to God. They would not listen. He listened to the wicked man, but he wouldn't listen to the righteous man. You know, Proverbs 27.6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. These prophets were those faithful friends who, who gave a rebuke, a testimony against the king and against these princes, but they would not listen. Another proverb says, he who hates reproof will die. Not listening to truth and putting your fingers in your ears and not hearing the truth will lead to your spiritual death and maybe even physical They would not listen to God by the mouth of his prophets. So, again, do you listen to the godly people who counsel you, even when it hurts, even if one of the saints says, brother or sister, I'm concerned, I saw this. Maybe men, it's our wives, come to us and say, my beloved, I heard how you spoke to so-and-so. That wasn't kind. Do we get angry and say no? Or do we say Yes, you're right. I sinned. I must repent. I must go to that person. Listen to godly counselors. There's so many proverbs about this. So much in the scripture. So much of the New Testament epistles are admonitions. We have much truth. That's why we must be a people of the book to listen to what God says. As we wrap up, some introductory thoughts from Chronicles. It's said of Joash in 24.22, Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him, but he murdered his son. Jehoiada and Jehosheba had rescued Joash when his when Athaliah was killing all the 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 princes of Judah, they risked their own lives to rescue him, raised him in the temple as their own, hid him from wicked Athaliah, and, and surely he knew this Zechariah, if it's, if it's directly Jehoiada's son, it's his half-brother, his step-brother, whatever you want to call him. Joash completely turned from God, and it says he did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him. Sad words of a man who seemed to be a bright light. He was repairing the temple. He was restoring it. He was doing good. And then all of a sudden, he, when Jehoiada is gone, he loses his religion completely and murders his half-brother. Woe unto those who forget the kindness shown to them.
we ought to be faithful friends and faithful to others and caring for others, but we've surely all experienced at least a few people in our lives who showed kindness to us. We must remember that. We must show them deference. We must be honoring to those old friends. Even one of the Proverbs talks about honoring the friends of your father. Those old family friends that were there for you when you were in need. Maybe we don't stay in contact what we, as much as we should, but let us make it our diligent action to not forget those who have shown kindness to us. Maybe it's as simple as, Lord, thank you for that friend who helped me 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I don't know where they are, but Lord, bless them. Maybe it's that. Or maybe it's dropping them a text. Hey, I'm just thinking about you. How are you doing? It's not that we have to see them every time. I remember what you did for me. Thank you. But we ought to be faithfully remembering, especially this adopted father. And surely, even our parents that may have failed showed us some, and many have shown us a lot of kindness. And that's one reason we honor them. Yes, God told us to honor our parents, even if they were bad parents. But how much more and how much greater it is when they show such kindness and help. And this man rescued Joash's life. He knew the story. He was rescued from Athaliah. And he just killed his half-brother, the son of Jehoiada. Let us remember those who show us kindness. And turn away from the wickedness of Joash, who had so much privilege, so much privilege, growing up in the temple with the chief priests and this godly uh, mother, adopted mother that he has, Jehosheba, grievous. Well, as this son, Zechariah, uh, was being stoned in the house of the Lord, by the way, he's the one mentioned by Jesus, it seems, in Matthew from the blood of the righteous Abel to Zechariah, whose blood was spilt between the altar and the temple. That's apparently this Zechariah. But anyhow, as he's dying, he shoots up this prayer, and he said, may the Lord see and avenge. May the Lord recompense what's happened here. Great wickedness. So then we're back to Kings, and you'll see why I gave that interim. I hope it's not confusing but Second Kings gives a much more abbreviated account of this story, as we see in the Gospels. Some writers give the short version, and some give the extended version. Back to Second Kings 12, verse 17. And we just ended last week in, with verse 16. They were collecting the money, and they gave some of the money to the priests. And then verse 17, and I believe what we read from Chronicles was the intervening things that happened. Verse 17 of Second Chronicles 12, Then Hazael, king of Aram, went up and fought against Gath and captured it. And then finally, And Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Or the Holman says, He planned to attack Jerusalem. So thinking of what we read about how Joash was living and all the wickedness that he did, this is what then happens by the rebuke of God, what we just read. God's punishment on Judah and on Joash would be and was very severe. And it was actually prophesied by Elisha, who when he um, 
told Hazael what he was going to do, and, and then he wept, remember, because he knew all that this wicked man would do to Judah in chapter 8, verse 12. Listen to the parallel again. Now it happened at the turn of the year that the army of the Arameans came up against him, against Joash, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem. They destroyed all the officials of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus, that is, Hazael. Indeed, the army of the Arameans came with a small number of men, yet the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands because they had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus, they executed judgment on Joash. Remember in our Chronicles passage, we heard about the officials? Well, it says these officials were actually destroyed by Hazael. So it seems, I I believe they're probably the same ones that led him into sin. God destroyed them. And they carried away all this spoil. Now, is that in addition to what Joash is going to give? It's unclear, but at least it says they carried away all their spoil, that is, from Judah to the king in Damascus or Aram. The Lord brought vengeance on Joash and Judah for their idolatry. Remember, they served the Asherim. They ultimately had forsaken the Lord, their covenant God. Remember, we noted previously, the Lord our God is a jealous God. He made us. We are made to worship Him alone, not other gods, not ourselves, not the things of this world. He is a jealous God and calls us to worship Him alone. Thus, when His people did not worship Him alone, He executed judgment upon them. Now, Chronicles mentions that they left Joash very sick. Was he wounded? Did God give him some disease? We don't know. But when the enemies left, he was very sick. King says... Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that Jehoash and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred, or that is, consecrated things, and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent them to Hazael, king of Aram. Thus he went away from Jerusalem." Joash bribed the king of Aram to get out of there. Although, before he did, all those officials were killed and they'd taken spoil. And now, he takes these sacred things. Did we hear about sacred things earlier? He had just, in verse 4, said, get all the money of the sacred things and use that to repair the house of God and to fix and to repair the temple of God. Yet now, he says, take the the sacred things, take the dedicated things, take all of this, even all the gold that is in the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and do what with them? Give them to the enemy. It's exactly the opposite of what he had done several years or even maybe decades earlier. He started so well. He was caring for the temple of God. Now he's robbing it. The repairer of the temple and then the robber of the temple. 
he, he devoted the sacred things, but then he took the sacred things. Lesson eight on our list. Beware of falling away from the living God. It may be in a moment, it may be over the years, or it may be over the decades, but beware of falling away from the living God. Of course, coming close to our text in Hebrews in the next hour, 3.12, take care, brethren. Not to the world, to the brethren. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Take care, brethren. We have to take care. We have to guard our hearts. We have to beware of falling away from the living God. We may have done well for five years, for ten years, for twenty years. But if we don't keep going and keep persevering, we will fall away from the living God. And that's what happened to Joash. He, he seemed to have a good profession. He seemed to do well for a season, but he fell away from the living God. He went from devoting things to God to taking things from God. Again, it can be in a moment when you just walk away from God or it can be more gradual. And I think that's often the case over the years, over the decades. Your heart grows hard. You stop having your prayer. You stop reading the scripture. You stop fellowshipping with the saints. And before long, you deny God. Pastors that preach the truth walk away from God because they didn't keep their hearts. They didn't listen to the author of Hebrews to take care, brethren, to guard your heart. To stay close to God, as to, to find our complete joy in the Lord. Lest we be like Joash. Even becoming a murderer. Murdering our half-brother. The heart is deceitful and capable of great wickedness. So take care and beware of falling away. 2 Kings 12, Hebrews, the whole book. As Tom has been faithfully warning us, drifting is dangerous. Lord, help us to persevere, to not drift, to not fall away. And we've talked about it before, people that have attended here, people that helped set up, people that, that, that did a lot have turned away from the Lord, young and old alike. And if we don't take heed and persevere and cling to Christ, we will do the same thing. Doesn't matter what we did last year. Doesn't matter how many sermons we preached or Sunday schools we taught or how much we gave in the offering. That doesn't save us. And perseverance doesn't save us either, but perseverance is a means that God uses to get us to the end by His grace in Christ. Take care. Well, Joash took all that stuff, all the sacred things, the dedicated things, all the gold that he found in the house of the God, and he gave it to the king, and finally the king withdrew. The bribe worked. Put that in quotes. His evil was successful. He got his enemy to go away. Verse 19 of Second Kings says, Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Which we read. Lesson 9, and, and thinking back to some of our hermeneutical and how we interpret the Bible, let us resolve to compare Scripture with Scripture, especially 
four parallel passages. And if you've been here for any length of time and all the, the hundreds of studies in the Gospels, we've compared the Gospels. But it's not only the Gospels, it's Kings and Chronicles. It's comparing Scripture with Scripture. Look at the history behind the Psalms. Read the title in a Psalm and go back and read what David was experiencing at that time. Sometimes there's a hint. Sometimes it's there. Look and compare Scripture with Scripture. What are some tools you might use to do that? What's a tool that you might use to compare Scripture with Scripture? Concordance, yes. Now, some of us that are old school, I got the big fat one like this that weighs, you know, five pounds. And, and I like that concordance. Some of you have it digital. Some of us are in the old, old days still. But, yeah, a concordance. When you become a Christian, when I became a new Christian, the people discipling me said, Brett, you got to have a concordance. I still have it. 25 years or so later, I still love the concordance. You can't learn everything from a concordance, but you can learn something by comparing Scripture with Scripture, doing a word study. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew. There are so many tools that you can use, and and you know that I love commentaries. They can be abused, but they can be a great blessing. Matthew Henry, J.C. Ryle, Spurgeon. Get those online. They're all online now. Or get the book. We have some. Come see one of us. We can help you. There are tools to help you to compare Scripture with Scripture. How about using multiple translations? That helps a lot. Compare. Have one next to the the other and compare Scripture with Scripture. Especially parallel thoughts, doctrines from Genesis to Revelation because there is biblical theology from beginning to end that helps us to connect the dots. Remember the Bereans who received the Word with great eagerness examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. And what Scriptures did they have? Pardon? The Old Testament. Maybe they had parts of the Gospels already. Maybe part of Mark, I believe, the first Gospel. I'm not sure. But primarily, they had the Old Testament. They probably knew these stories a lot better than we do. And that's why we're studying, we went through Genesis and we're in Kings so that we can compare Scripture to Scripture. When we read Jesus mentioning Zechariah, we can say, yes, Joash had him killed, I remember. We are so blessed, brothers and sisters, to have this book of God. Study it, meditate upon it. Yes, have your daily devotions, but think about it. It's better to read one verse and think about it than a chapter and give no thought. Compare Scripture with Scripture, even Kings and Chronicles. I say Psalms is my favorite book, Hebrews is my favorite New Testament book. I don't hear many people say, Chronicles, I want to get in Chronicles. There's a lot there to benefit us. It's profitable for teaching, for instruction. Let us be encouraged to read our Bibles, to know the Bible, to find encouragement in the Bible. Even Kings and Chronicles. Well, possibly it was ten years after this attack. We don't know. uh, But he reigned 40 years. This is all compressed into one chapter. 40 years 
And we come to verse 20 of 2 Kings 12. Joash, his servants, arose and made a conspiracy. And Chronicles adds, because, adds, be, added because he killed Zechariah. His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash at the house of Milo as he was going down to Scylla. And by the way, you can search all day and you won't find those places in the Bible. Concordance, we don't know. There are things we don't know. There's, we don't find Milo or Scylla anywhere else in the scripture. But that's where they, he was going. Verse 21, for Josachar, the son of Shimeath, and Chronicles adds, the Ammonites, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, and Chronicles adds, the Moabites, his servant struck him, and he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, became king in his place. We'll just focus on the word conspiracy. His servants arose and made a conspiracy. It's the same word we've heard before, translated treason. They made a conspiracy. Chronicles said also that actually Joash conspired to put Zechariah to death. We've seen this before where people that conspire are often conspired against. Absalom, Zimri, the chief priest, and the Pharisees to kill Jesus, the Jews to kill Paul. There have been conspiracies from the beginning and there will be to the end. So regardless of the ongoing, excuse me, regarding conspiracies from Ecclesiastes 1.9, there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. There have been conspiracies there will be conspiracies. There's nothing new under the sun. Listen to the whole verse. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. We think this is a day of conspiracy. Sure, it is. Is that new? Is this the first time that people ever thought we live in a day of conspiracies? No. There's nothing new under the sun. These conspiracies have been going on from the time that Cain killed his brother Abel. He conspired to kill him. And it will be until our Lord returns. Even so, come Lord Jesus. There's nothing new under the sun. Joash was killed by his own servants. And it's interesting that the two men that killed him, their mothers were not Jews. It's very interesting that Chronicles mentions that they were Ammonites and Moabite mothers. And I think you could you could extrapolate here. But God used these, apparently the, their fathers were Jews, their mothers were foreigners, and, and yet they were maybe godly men, and they wanted to avenge, at least God used them to avenge the death of Zechariah, and they killed their master, Joash. And Chronicles adds, not only was he buried, but it says they did not bury him in the tomb of the kings. He was a disgrace. They didn't even bury him among his fathers directly. And remember Jehoiada? Where was he buried? Did you catch it? 
he was actually buried in the tomb of the in the tombs with the kings. What a contrast between these men. Well, we conclude the years about 797 BC, the death of Joash, and his son Amaziah is the new king of Judah. Next week we come to chapter 13. <clears throat> And we move back to the northern kingdom of Israel. We've been looking at the kingdom of Judah in the south. And we're going to wrap up our study in the life and times of Elisha. Chapter 13 will deal with the death of Elisha. And I hope you see the connecting strands between all these characters. It's challenging to keep track. Uh, I do, uh, some of you have the handout that I gave at the beginning if you didn't get it. Uh, all the kings, mine is quite marked up. Talk about resources, uh, not my own from E.J. Young, but if you didn't get that, see me and I can email it to you or print off a copy. But it's fascinating to see God's hand working through these men and women, the godly and the wicked. God accomplished his purposes. Let's conclude with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the instruction from your word. Lord, may we hide it in our hearts. May we treasure it. May we meditate upon it. Father, we thank you for the Bible. So many died to to bring it to us today that in your kind providence, you gave us the Bible in English and many translations. Lord, thank you. May we be faithful with it. Lord, may we read it regularly. May we meditate upon it and may we do it. Father, may we imitate Joash in the good that he did, but not in the evil. Lord, may we not fall away from you, our God, but would we persevere? Would we take heed? Would we not drift, but would we cling to Christ? May we keep repenting of our sins, turning from our sins, believing and running hard after you. Father, thank you again for this opportunity. May you bless it as we conclude, even in the next couple weeks. May we remember the lessons from Second Kings for your glory and our good. For Christ's sake, amen.